Welcome to the BGS English Podcast. This is a podcast on Ted Hughes' poem, The Thought Fox, with me, Mr Biddle. Um, I'm Loretta, an upper sixth English scholar. I'm Isla, another upper sixth English scholar. Let me ask by, start by asking you whether, you whether you enjoyed the poem. It's not one you're studying for an exam, so how did you I think at that? first I found it very simple, and I was like, there's not much to work with here, and I kind of felt a bit sorry for the year 11s being set this. But I think the more we started reading it and annotating it, I realised that it's actually got quite a lot to say about it, and there's some really interesting ideas at the base of it. Yeah, I agree. As I interpreted it and unpacked it, I came to enjoy it. Yeah. Great, well let's do that now. Um, <laughs> we've got the question there, how does Hughes vividly convey the imagination in the Thought Fox? So it's already taking you to... Um, one of the simplest uh, metaphorical meanings of the poem, it, the, the fox representing the imagination. So um, we've got a thesis statement uh, for you, quite a complex one, but um, an interesting one. So we'll use that as our push-off point. Eileen, would you read that for us? In The Thought Fox, Hughes vividly portrays the multifaceted nature of imagination, exploring the solitude and power of a writer's mind as he depicts the unsteady formation of a creative idea and the way in which it comes to fruition. Implicit in the piece is a tension between the idealised mystical qualities of imagination and the mundane and restricted process of writing, as well as the duality of the con conscious and unconscious mind, with the metaphorical fox operating in the liminal space between the two. Finally, Hughes expresses the more general desire of writers for satisfaction in their attempts to make their creative mark. Great. So some key ideas in there that the imagination and Hughes' experience of it is multifaceted, and that there is a solitude inherent to it that we'll talk a bit more about when we talk about the quality of the fox and that there is something inherently tense there's a tension in that process so if you look at the handout that we, you can find attached to this you'll see that the first of our sections that we're going to talk about is the choice of the fox as the central creature the metaphorical creature and the sense that it brings of detachment of himself from his imagination so if we start by looking at the qualities of the fox as they are in the poem, we're really going to um, stanzas three, four, and five particularly. So in stanza three, we explore the, the very delicate sensory um, experiences of the fox. The fox's nose touches, so we've got the olfactory sense, we've got touch there, and we've got eyes looking. So this is a fox, a creature that is fully engaged in the sensory experience. So there's a quality of imagination that the writer is seeking to kind of bring into that process again. Then we get the neat prints into the snow. So the mark making, again, is neat, it's precise, it's placed. And it's wary, an eye um, warily, a lame shadow. So it's careful, it's a cautious creature. And these are all things that the writer is talking about as being part of his imaginative process. It gradually becomes bolder, which is interesting as well. And um, I looked at the, the way the landscape opens up in the penultimate stanza. And do you want to say a little bit more about that or the qualities more broadly of the fox um, as a creature to have chosen? I think, um, so Isla and I started at first looking at how the fox is sort of presented as this fragmented parts of it, the nose that touches the twig and the leaf, the two eyes, and um, especially the two eyes, um, it's a synecdote, isn't it? That um, the whole fox is being represented with just a body part. 
and mm, um, symmetrically, in, yeah. Yeah, so in doing this, you can see that the fox is being fragmented and it is just the beginning sort of parts of an idea of the um, authorial process and like creativity. And um, as it progresses, it becomes more clear and more sort of distinct. And we begin to see that there is a clearing and a widening, deepening, deepening greenness. Um, the idea that the fox and the idea of the fox is starting to physically take space. It's transgressing from just the elemental parts of an idea to like actually physically taking up space and burgeoning into this sort of creativity. Yeah, and interestingly, even when it starts to solidify, there's still, as you mentioned, the lame shadow, which if you identify that as something that's separate to the fox, it could be interpreted, interpreted as attached doubt to something, even as this idea becomes more solid and reinforced in his mind. He's still aware of, if we interpret this as a writer, the shortcomings of the idea, still striving for this perfection that maybe isn't possible. Mm. And the fox, in that sense, kind of, it, it carries all sides from the idea of the shortcomings of it, the failures of it, and the kind of mm. more solidified successes of it. Mm. I think also, um, on the fifth stanza, the brilliantly, concentratedly, the use of the adverbs there brings a real sort of like, acuteness and understanding of it. It's very concentrated, deep understanding. And then the idea also about it coming about its own business, the idea that the fox is sort of self-propelling itself into creation, mm. which is quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's a lovely image, isn't there? So there's actually a lot more to the fox in the, in the poem. And um, you mentioned about the, the, the opening up, the widening, deepening greenness, and there's a nice reflection of that space-taking that you described in the in the long vowel sounds that he's using in those words, the, the E sound, which just elongate that line and reflexive of what's going on. Obviously it calls back to, at the beginning of the poem, the darkness, if we interpret this landscape to be a representation of his mind, and then this fox, this idea, something that he feels confidently about, is opening up and brightening his mind as, he, as it becomes, again, like solidified. Yeah, and I mean, even immediately from the second line of the poem, we know that something else is alive. It, that's quite like a foreboding, eerie message that creates some sort of tension. Mm. And it also, again, if we're sticking with the idea that the idea is separate to the author, perhaps, then the idea that the fox is detached from the author and he's not quite aware of what's out there yet. Mm. There's a callback, actually, an echo of William Blake's um, poem, The Tiger, which is well worth... Um, people going having a quick read of if you don't know it and um, Blake fascinated by the imagination as well and its interaction with our senses um, and in the poem The Tiger, it begins Tiger Tiger burning bright in the forest of the night. So there's something I think deliberate in Hughes echoing that um, Blake's interest in the spark of creation and how that comes about in, and how it interacts with the imagination. So that. worth reading that as well. Could you mention that as an illusion? In you definitely could in an essay. Um, what you don't want to do with context is to spend a paragraph writing about it, of course. Um, but a brief allusion to um, something contextual that's making meaning of, of what you're writing about is, is excellent. In fact, on that score, Eileen, you had something contextual. Um, could, you, could you tell us about that? Yeah, so kind of an interesting piece of context about Hughes himself. When he used to read this in public, um, he would introduce it by telling the audience about a dream that he'd had two years before writing it, when he was at Cambridge. Um, he believed that the academic study of literature, quotes stifled his creativity, and in this dream, a burnt and bloody fox the size of a man enters his room, puts a bloody hand on the essay he was writing, and said, stop this, you are destroying us. 
very dark piece of context there. <laughs> a dark and visceral image from Keith. Mm. No, no surprise to, yeah. to students who want to study. When it comes to the fox and the author's relationship with his own mind and with his ideas, I think it's interesting to consider, like, relating back to what the rest said about this eeriness and this tension, that at first it's not clear whether he's perceiving this unseen thing as a negative or positive thing, as something to be scared of or something to embrace. Mm -hmm. it could be That's also something that we, I think, are going to get onto at the third point as yeah, well. Sorry, not to jump ahead. Real mm. the tone of the poem. And we mustn't, of course, um, overlook that you don't want to spend your time talking about it, but we don't want to completely overlook the qualities of, of a fox generally, that his choice of this animal is bringing into the poem. So foxes are um, conventionally witty, they are intelligent creatures that sort of process and can strategize and think, um, but they're also lone figures that kind of um, are sometimes hunted. There's a vulnerability there as well. Um, so I think uh, that those qualities are part of what he's bringing in to the poem. So um, in our second section, we, we were considering tensions that there are in the poem, really, and those reflecting tensions in the creative process, the use of the imagination. Um, Violet, do you want to start saying something about any of those tensions that we see? Yeah, so I think even in the opening stanza, he kind of introduces a clear tension between some of the things that Mielorest said was there's a mysticism to the landscape and kind of beauty to it and an ambiguity to it and then there's a real kind of grounded physicality and almost mundanity to the speaker or the writer himself. So you have the um, consonants of the midnight moment's forest, something else is, al is alive that feels eerie, it feels kind almost of gothic. gothic, yeah feels kind of gothic, it's introducing this kind of magical, mystical landscape which we're not too familiar. And then that's kind of immediately counteracted by, I, I would say the image of the clock is, is kind of incongruous at this point in the poem. And then the blank page, and then the fingers moving, it could be a reference to the physical process of writing, to sitting down and taking the time to write something and the kind of mundanity of that. We I think we also mentioned that the incongruity of the clock in this sort of like mystical gothic landscape begins to kind of merge the borders between what is imagined and what is reality mm. and sort of begins to collapse this sort of like dreamscape that Hughes finds himself in and again you could link that to the process of writing yeah. and how an idea is born from reality perhaps and it does end up taking um, place in fictitious worlds, fiction. That's interesting because yeah. we're presenting it as a tension but there's also a sense that there's a kind of symbiotic relationship. <laughs> symbiotic relationship between the two because the, re the unreality that he's creating or the fictitious world that he's creating is still dependent on the, the very physical real world that he resides in. So I guess to what extent mm. is it tension and to what extent yeah. is it just mm. a relationship? And also an interesting point. another wider question which um, you don't necessarily have to mention the essay because it might be a bit too wide, but is fiction perhaps an extension of the physical world? And to what extent can it be considered an extension of the physical world or entirely just made up? And that's, I would say there is a tension between that because he, as you say, in some ways he's welcoming this interaction, he's welcoming the, the movement and it doesn't appear to be a costly or a difficult movement from, um, <laughs> um, it doesn't seem to be a costly movement from his space into the into the imaginary space of writing and thinking. Um, on the other hand, he doesn't like the return, and he certainly doesn't 
appear to like, you know, we'll talk more about this later, but it doesn't appear to like the kind of the point at which his imagination becomes manifest in a thing. The page is printed and then it kind of is left and the stink of the fox sort of implies that actually that, that's, that transition has not been as, think, yeah. as simple. That's, I think, reflected in another kind of main tension, which is the image of the star in the second stanza. Um, if you interpret the star to represent something divine, something kind of mystical beyond him, above him, that he is trying to kind of, I guess, adhere to or reach, um, you could also interpret it as the muse, which is an image of, of a creative divine force or deity coming down and imbuing an author with an idea mm. or with kind of the inspiring inspiration, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And he seems to be kind of upset that this isn't happening to him, that he isn't receiving this divine creative inspiration. You know, through the window I see no star. And instead he's having to take more agency and more of the kind of physical, less exciting divine aspects into his writing process. And he does seem to kind of resent that to an extent. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a real tension there between the sort of macroscopic celestial imagery of the star and like, as you said, divine sort of inspiration and then the more microscopic within himself and inside of his mind, something more near, right. though deeper within darkness, of that sort of idea coming from deep within, which mm. again links to the fox being a sort of self-contained, self-repelling. And obviously the darkness image. completely juxtaposes the image of light with the star. Yeah. Mm. So in a way he's suggesting that this divine force and his own mind are complete opposites somehow. And we see there's a tension, I think, um, as well, in between the freedoms that are represented by the fox, but the imaginative freedom of a, of a creative writing act, and then the need for it to take some sort of shape, and I suppose um, that's fundamental to the writing process. And here, it's interesting that he chooses to write in regular quatrains. There's a lot of... Um, the lines themselves are, are fairly regular in length, there's um, various... there are rhymes in the poem and half rhymes, so it has uh, really quite an orthodox regular structure. And yet, of course, it's also exploring these freedoms. And so we get the enjambment of different lines um, mm -hmm. and frequently enjambment going crossing stanzas. So it's one, it's a poem that's exploring the tension between breaking boundaries and being free and then having to bring that into some sort of shape and, and mm -hmm. that in order to create, in order to communicate that, that has to turn into something with rules and boundaries of yeah. some sort or another. Mm -hmm. So tension there that one could comment on and talk about the structure of the poem in doing so. Um, let's move on from tensions to our, our final point, which is the, um, the attitude. It's quite difficult to make judgments. We touched on it about the attitude of the poet to um, this process that he's describing. And in particular, an ambivalence that we found in the ending. So maybe I could throw that over to, to you, Loretta. What, what, what sort of attitudes were you feeling that um, we get from the poet? through the course of this? Um, what, you know, we said uh, towards the, the first, I think it's five stanzas? It's four stanzas? No, five. It's, um, it's quite ambivalent as to whether, and ambiguous whether Hughes is sort of welcoming this sort of timid fox that is slowly mm. beginning to make itself more and more apparent in the cognitive landscape. And then we see that there's this sort of um, transition um, and shift in the final stanza um, with a sudden sharp hot stink and the sibilance of the sharp and the stink um, 
really sort of echo that sense of the idea of the fox cutting through the haze of you know creative um, process and also the idea that the stink it's sort of seeping into the sensory landscape of the poem and really sort of overpowering um, which I thought was quite interesting and also the dark hole of the head it's quite a pessimistic way of describing the creative process and coming up with an idea and the word it's not mind it's head it's almost quite like biological and reducing Hughes's creativity to almost like anatomized biological process um, yeah, I think like you said, there's a really clear shift there to that kind of visceral olfactory image of the hot stink and it's just, it completely contrasts the really quite beautiful and delicate image of the fox that has been presented beforehand. And I think one of the questions that that led us to was, is this question of satisfaction and the author's own satisfaction with his creation. Um, is this kind of sudden negative image supposed to indicate that he actually isn't completely satisfied with this idea that to him initially seemed to be quite beautiful and, and exciting and mystical. And I think that can be seen as well in the kind of the last line which is has this real sense of finality with the plosive sounds in it and the and the shortness of it, but also it feels again this kind of resentful negative tone comes back from earlier. It feels like he is unsatisfied with his own creation. I think that also comes in with the windows starless still. Mm. With the word still, it's almost like he's still got this longing for a sort of right. divine kind of muse theory that we are going on about earlier, for it to be some sort of like almost sacred process of writing, but in reality it's this kind of fox that comes in with its sharp hot stink mm. that kind of invades. It's almost like he's trying to idealise his own yeah. process and by the end fails. Yeah, exactly. And I guess as a as a just wider image of a writer and a writer's role and desire to create something and their own process in creating something and to what extent they can achieve that I think in their lifetime. Also what I find interesting is when we first looked at this we didn't really have any context and we read the um, that now and again now and now and now at the anaphora and we thought of it is it perhaps an epiphany right. is it like you can finally see the idea and it's like a you know a great sort of um, moment where you've got this real clear understanding of the fox and I think that is perhaps contrasted at the end with this sort of as you said finality yeah. and um, almost like sadness in that the page is printed it's the solitary sentence at the end standing by itself. well it doesn't stand by itself it's part of the stanza right. but still it kind of sits a bit different and if you bring it back to the writing process as well we talked about the um temporal image of the clock and the kind of tick of time passing away and feeling like you're running out of time or you don't have enough time to create the thing or at least to go to the extent that you want to go to with your own writing with your own creations yeah and I think there's there's an unresolved tension in the end and an ambivalence about the whole thing that that I think doesn't need resolution particularly. Um, and actually, he finishes the page is printed is a physical act which has um, is neither good nor bad. It simply is, and the rest of it he is his ongoing process of his life. And there is a morbidity to the idea of the dark hole in the head, of course, yeah. a sinister morbidity really. And yet it appears to be one that he also welcomes because. The, the poet's voice here in the last stanza seems to identify more closely with the retreating fox as it sort of t goes back to the safety of its lair. So that image of the returning to the head or the lair of the fox is, is an image in theory of safety. Uh, and yet, the, as you rightly point out, that the saying head instead of mind or something, you know, creates a sort of um, a very organic and, and perhaps slightly sinister. Yeah, I tone. mean, interestingly, you could interpret the pages printed as 
something, like you said, something that just is, but something that just is in spite of the fact that the window is still, still mm. and the clock ticks. So he's aware of his kind of own mortality and his own time limit mm. as a mm. writer and as a person. He's aware that you know, maybe there isn't this divine inspiration or creative force out there, but in spite of all that, the page is still printed. He's still made something, even mm. if he isn't completely satisfied with it. And if we think of writers in midlife for a minute, um, <laughs> <laughs> Why are you Christ. laughing? <laughs> um, the, um, the, the sense of needing to make a mark is present in this poem, isn't there? And so the, the fox has done its roaming, it's done its searching, and eventually it's going to make its mark, as animals do mark their territory. And, and you know, sometimes with urine, in this case, with a sort of a hot stink that marks mm. its place. And in doing so, he becomes both kind of... There's a finality to it. He's also repelled by that, and that's present in the hot stink. So there's a sense of a writer kind of not wishing to have to bring to fruition a particular mm -hmm. piece and send it into the world and, and that, be, that be his voice out there and be judged on and whatever else. Um, but also a, 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 a very present sense of his, his um, lifespan, his morbidity in the dark hole of the head, that unless he makes his mark, his mark will not be made. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's a sort of ambivalence about the whole process inherent in that. I'm quite self-referential as well, and I think one of the things yeah. you wanted to talk about a little bit yeah. was metafiction. I mean, just to throw it in, mm. metafiction is the sort of idea of referencing the fact that the piece of writing is a piece of writing, and a sort of awareness of a writer within it. And, a um, self-referential yeah. piece of writing, and yeah. throughout we get, um, and this blank page where my fingers move, the page is printed, mm. um, and this sort of, um, again, uh, links to the sort of dissolving of the sort of boundaries between imagined world and the real world and the process of sitting down and forcing yourself to write, which is something that's quite rigid compared to the sort of unbounded nature of literature and the imagination. Um, but also metafiction is common within postmodernist writing, which um, is essentially about the suspicion of reason, which again sort of links to the idea of um, the fox being detached from himself and the um, tension between romantic and gothic idealised aspects seen in the landscape and then again the sort of act of actually writing and having a piece of writing that you can print out into the real world and have, as you said, in midlife writing something to remember by, something to be remembered by. Brilliant. So lots and lots of ideas and there's some straightforward, some complex and um, just a reminder, especially if um, those listening are, are year 11 students, doing their revision that um, just take what you can from these ideas and um, you, you don't need all, you wouldn't be able to write all of those sorts of things in a, an exam essay, um, but just um, using those ideas to help you find your own way. Um, let us to help this uh, imaginary student who's trying to do their revision with a pithy conclusion. So how would we conclude in a way that felt like a kind of uh, making sense but in a brief and um, clear way of the poem. I suppose we could talk about um, Hughes' attitudes, we've, we've, we've touched on that. Um, we could talk about the, um, the simultaneous kind of life-giving and also closing down process of the, of the poem. So the, he's not only kind of given life to his imagination, but he's turned it into an animal. He's actually given it a, a life of an animal, the fox, and detached it from himself. And then at the end of the poem, that, that life has closed down again and gone into a dark whole of solitude once more. So you could perhaps make that point as a nice concluding remark. Very busy. 
<laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.